Now, I'm Scott Weatherford. If you're a guest today, I just am so glad you're here. Uh, I'm what's keeping them from having a pastor here at this church. Actually, uh, this has been our first Christmas together, and I want to say this to you. This has been such a blessing for Tara and I. My children ask us this year for Christmas, Daddy, Mama, don't move from Wimberley. So that's, that's what they ask for, for Christmas. So <clears throat> I said, well, I'm getting so old, it's hard to move anywhere, much less out again. But we are, Tara and I are glad to be here. We're excited to be here. We're excited what God is doing in and for and through us in this church. That uh, Christmas Eve, I believe we set an all-time record attendance in the 133-year history of this church on a non-kind of opening weekend. I think when we dedicated this building, we had more people, but for a weekend gathering last Christmas Eve, set an all-time attendance record. Isn't that crazy? In this little town of Wimberley, in the diamond in the heart of the hill country. Today, we're gonna end the year basically how I started with you guys back in March. Now, y'all remember that I came kind of wandering up here because on the Sunday following the, the, the departure of Pastor Mike, Wyatt Warren called me and asked me to come preach. Y'all needed a preacher. I was available. I had no idea, none, that God would assign me to be with you. I had no idea. I wasn't looking for a church to pastor again. I was helping churches all over the United States. But God, but God had a different plan. And somehow we came together and you won my heart and I think I've won most of y'all's hearts. Some of y'all still got the, the juries out. That's all right. That's between you and Jesus. But God has got us on this great adventure together. And I want you to hold this thought in the mind, okay? Because this is how we're going to end this year. We're going to talk about being a church of rescue. But we're also not going to talk just about being a church of rescue. We're going to be talking about being a person, a person of rescue. You see, rescue, the great change of rescue often hangs on the small hinges of the ordinary. Often on the ordinary. Some days we awake with great expectation for we know this is the day. This is the day of our, of our wedding. Great expectation. This is the day of our child's birth. Great expectation. But most of our days are filled with the ordinary. But God loves to invade the ordinary with his extraordinary. Moses, 80 years old, felt like that his time had passed. Any of y'all 80 years old or older in here? You feel like your time, I see that hand. You feel like that time's passed? He woke up to the ordinary day of tending sheep only to be encountered by the extraordinary God of the burning bush and the assignment that would define his life at 80. Now, if you're 80 this year, today, or older, if you see a, bur a burning bush, walk the other way, okay? <laughs> your, your kids are gonna say, I knew they had dementia all along. Look at them seeing burning bushes. King David woke to the ordinary day of also tending sheep, only to be invaded by the extraordinary of the prophet making a home visit and anointing him as king. What most of us don't realize about the anointing of David as king, it was a public 
pronouncement of a rebellion that David would be the center of. From that day forward, David was a marked man politically. Paul, known as Saul, the ordinary day of persecution was encountered by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and his life was forever changed. The most unlikely missionary to the Gentiles, a pious, zealot Jew, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, assigned by God to bring the gospel to us. Peter and John, the ordinary day of catching fish by the seashore, to be encountered by this guy from Galilee who would say, from now on, you will fish for men. You may think that today has dawned an ordinary day, but I want to tell you something. In the economy of God, there is no such thing as the ordinary because God is the God of the extraordinary. And you're here this morning, this New Year's Eve, and perhaps you're watching online, but God has set you up for today. Today to be the day that he would step into this time and this place and whisper in your ear, redirect your heart, clarify your call, and release you for his rescue. Because God's mission, his invasion, is all about binding up the brokenhearted. So this morning, we're going to look at the book of Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah, we see God who invaded an ordinary guy, a guy that had a menial job, and how he set him about on the course of rescue. And I believe that there's a message for you today and a message for me today and a message for us today that God is not the God of the ordinary. He's the God of the extraordinary and he wants us to be about the same thing. And about that same thing is to rescue broken people in Wimberley Valley and in Dripping Springs and in Blanco and in Kyle and Buda and South Austin in San Marcos, in New Braunfels, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray, oh God, that you will speak through me. And I pray that it'll not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will direct our lives in the trajectory you would direct our lives. And I thank you for how great and good you are. And I thank you for how faithful you've been and how faithful you will be. We bank on your faithfulness of the past, looking into the future, realizing that the hand that guided us to this place will guide us to the next and the next, all for you, Jesus. So thank you. Speak, oh God. We're hungry to hear from you. And we pray this in your strong name, amen. I invite you to take out from your bulletin, your, your study guide or your take the weekend with you notes. You could jot down some, uh, some thoughts uh, there's some things coming up that I'm very, very excited about. So while you're reaching, I'm going to tell you about this. First of all, guys, the Beast Feast coming up on the 8th is going to be amazing as we relaunch the men's ministry here at First Baptist Church. We, we have a team of guys. We, uh, we're, it's going to be more, about, more than just eating some wild game, but it's really going to be living all for Jesus' men. So you look forward to that on the 8th. On the 21st of this month, we're going to have an ordination service. 
I know that sounds kind of ominous, but it's going to be so much fun. We're going to ordain some new deacons. We're going to lay hands on some new advisors, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to pray into this new year together. So y'all look forward to that. Now, I'll throw out another little caveat. A dear friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Vincent, he has um, got great history with him. His parents were part of our church in Calgary, Alberta. He has... Uh, he's in Louisiana. He's in Baton Rouge. He's planting a church there called Hope Church Baton Rouge. I have been coaching him and mentoring him for the last several years, last, uh, last year actually, as he's launched this new church. He has asked us, this church, to ordain him as a pastor. And so we will do that. We will ordain him as a pastor. And and his church will be a part of us and us a part of him. And we will be tied life to life, heart to heart with him. Doesn't that sound exciting? It's very rare that a church gets to ordain another pastor. And so we're going to get to do that. So I'll let you know when that's going to happen. Uh, But I'm very excited. And get this, y'all. I've influenced him so much. He's going to go to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, the place of providence and prayer where all great theologians matriculate. So y'all just put that in the back of your mind. Well, let's look at, look at Nehemiah. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Nehemiah chapter one. If you don't, we're going to project the, the, the passage up here on the screen. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to read this prayer of Nehemiah. Then like uh, we did Christmas Eve, like a, a jewel, we're going to hold it up to the light of God's word and see all the nuances there that I believe God is speaking to us. Several years ago, I took time to write a commentary on the book of Nehemiah. Now, unlike other commentaries written by other theologians, this one was never published because people really don't care what I thought. I might share that with you in the new year, my commentary on Nehemiah, because I saw some great leadership lessons uh, as I wrote that and as I studied that, as I exegeted this passage. But today I want you to hear this prayer and hear how this prayer can set us up for an amazing 2018. Are y'all ready for this? All right, let me read for you and you listen. Oh Lord God of heaven, I love the way Nehemiah started that prayer. Oh, Lord God of heaven, realizing his position and God's position, he set himself up to the place of complete dependence. Listen to me, beloved. God wants you in a place where if he doesn't come through, you are doomed. Now, some of us have our hope fixed on our bank account. Some of us have our hopes, hope fixed on our children. Good luck with that. Some of us have our hope fixed on whatever else. But God wants you to have his hope fixed, your hope fixed on him. Nehemiah recognized God's position, his position. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying day and night for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family has, and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. Like God needs a reminder. Now, Nehemiah wasn't reminding God. Nehemiah was reminding Nehemiah. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. And he found himself 
in the nation of Babylon, scattered among the nations. Nehemiah prayed this from a place of exile, a place of, of retribution, a place of discipline. Now, it's really interesting. I'll chase this rabbit just for a second to give you some historical background. When the Israelites were, were overran by Babylon, the Babylonian kings would take the people from another culture and bring them in to enculturate them into the Persian culture. They wanted to have a similar culture throughout their kingdom. They didn't want to have different cultures with different exp expressions throughout their kingdom. They wanted a similar culture so they would enculturate people. Do y'all know that still happens today? That we are called by God to be a peculiar people, but we have been enculturated. Now, Nehemiah brought it to the, to Babylonian, the, the people brought it to the Babylonian what happened is that they refused to be enculturated. They started influencing the Babylonian culture. How do we know that? Because this is where the synagogue rose up. When 10 Jewish families would gather together to study the Torah, to maintain the customs and the regulations, there was a revival in the middle of their desperation, a revival of their renewal and repentance towards God. So the synagogue rose up during Babylonian captivity. Here's another thing that happened in Babylonian captivity. They started practicing the mikvah. The mikvah was a ceremonial washing. That was someone who was at a state of repentance would be baptized underneath water and brought up with a declaration of, I am changing gods and I'm going to renew my life to God. Y'all, our ordinance of baptism comes out of Babylonian captivity. Jesus made that our ordinance the symbol of a new life in Christ, the waters a baptism. Isn't that kind of amazing? That in the, isn't that kind of amazing? Y'all are staring at me like, shut up. But it's amazing to me that out of this season of desperation comes this great movement of God. But it's not surprising to me. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't turn when I see the light. I turn when I see the heat, when I feel the heat. And when as God moves in my heart in a season of desperation, I want to hear from him and I long to hear from him more than ever. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen to have my name honored. The people you have rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. Put in his heart to be kind to me. You see, Nehemiah knew that rescue is at the very heart of God. God is a God of rescue. God is a God who loves you so much that he will reach into the quagmire, I would even say the septic system of your life and snatch you out of the vile mess that you have made.
And I love that about God. When I was a kid, we used to go to my grandmother's house every, every summer, and they lived in southwest Mississippi. And uh, that red clay in southwest Mississippi had a hard time percolating the septic system. And so every summer, our assignment in the sweltering heat of South Mississippi was to take off the lid of the septic system and clean it out. Ain't that a great vacation experience to have as a child? I remember one time we had the septic system open, and like any child, I was fascinated for what was might be found inside of the, of the septic system. Some of y'all are grossing out right now. So I decided that I would walk along the edge of the septic system. My daddy said to me, son, don't fall in. It ain't worth getting you out. (laughs) But our God loves us so much that even when we fall in, he's going to get us out. Isn't that good to know that you cannot outsend God and you can't outstupid God? But my soul and body, get off the edge of the septic system. Don't live on the edge of the section. Just because God can don't mean he ought to. Y'all just remember that. As he prayed, you could hear the truth of God come out of his heart. You see, he said, God, you're full of unfailing love and tender mercy, everlasting love. And what we've understood over the last few weeks, I've talked to you about the unfailing love of God. This means love without limit, mercy without, uh, without qualification. This means extended beyond what's normal or natural for us to understand. His unfailing love, his unlimited power, his, his marvelous grace, his grace that is greater than all my sin. This is the God he was crying out to and the truth of God poured into his life. But oh, my precious folks, we so often live under the condemnation of our actions and our attitudes and our warped thinking instead of living under the divine, unlimited power and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think God loves everybody but me. And God could forgive anybody but me. But God has the power and the love, and Nehemiah poured that out to God. You see, God was preparing Nehemiah in advance for him to join him in that great rescue and the restoration of the nation of Israel. Everything in your life, God uses. Everything in your life, God uses. This year... We will launch a new ministry here at First Baptist Church, not a new one, but a restoration of a ministry we once had called Celebrate Recovery. And God is right now building a team of people who are going to reach into people that are broken with addictions. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. Wimberley has a problem with addictions. Did you know that? Wimberley has a problem with addictions, and addictions are leaving people broken and destitute. But Wimberley has a church that's powered by the Lord Jesus Christ who said, we will be folks of rescue. And God is building a team even now. And we're going to invest in the training of these leaders. And some of you might say, hey, I want in on this. Will you just let me know? It's time to get in. 
to be a part of what God is doing. Over this past year, we've seen rescue bubble up. We've seen divorce care just take hold and do a great job. We've seen grief share. Uh, some ladies in their misery let God launch a ministry and they started caring for people that are grieving and, and that is raising up. It's amazing. Financial peace that is ongoing and being taught by loving leaders here that helps people from the bondage of depravity. God is restoring and rebuilding people. God raises up the church to be the church of rescue, not the church of our convenience. God is using everything about us. I think about this in my own life, and I find myself here in this place in Wimberley. I, I never expected to be here. I never did. You never expected me to be here. If, you, if your pastor search team they would have never, ever, ever contacted me unless God washed me up like a puppy in a box outside Ace Hardware. <laughs> Just wouldn't happen. I was, telling, I was talking to Wyatt about how churches do things. And of course, I'm a, a strategist and a consultant and I work with leaders and, and I've, I've learned patterns. And I said, you know, typically churches will do this. They'll hire a pastor and that pastor will leave and they'll get somebody exactly the opposite from that other pastor. And then that'll go within day. He'll leave and they'll get somebody exactly opposite from that pastor. And that's why I said we have to have a solid philosophy of ministry that keeps us from having the variances of personalities of pastors with the consistency of building people all for Jesus. Y'all got that? So we wanted to establish a philosophy that would live beyond the personality of the pastor. And I said, it's very typical that this church had this pastors like this. Then they got me and I'm totally different from them. And why go stop? We didn't get you. God brought you. You'd have never looked for us and we'd have never looked for you. God assigned you here. I don't know much, but I do know this. God asked me to come here. And Terry and I have said yes. And we're not going to just give you our hearts. We're going to give you our lives. As Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, we've come to you like a father. We've come to you like a mother. And we're going to give you our lives. And I tell you folks, I don't know about you, but when you know you're where God wants you to be, there's great security. Great security. I told Tara, I said, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. <laughs> and folks, we're going to go together. We're going to go together for King Jesus, all right? Are there going to be changes? Has there been any change in the last few months? <laughs> but it's all about the Lord and it's all about us being what God wants us to be. It's not the kingdom of God is never business as usual because his business is unusual and he invades the ordinary with the extraordinary. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Ephesus for we are God's masterpiece and the Greek word there for masterpiece is, is literally a poem, poeme. We are God's poem. We are his masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. 
so we could do the good things he's planned for us from long ago. God's been rubbing his hand and said, whoo, here we go. Got some good things planned for y'all. Will you go? Will you, will you do it? Will you be those people? You see, your yes to God reveals your devotion to him. Does he have our yes before he asks? Does he have our yes before he asks? You see, we've allowed false views of who we are as a church to lull us into being ineffective. I've said this to you, and I want you to hold on to this because I want you to remember it. Your your Christology, your view of Jesus, shapes your ecclesiology, that's your view of the church, shapes your missiology, that's your view of the mission of the church. Jesus is a rescuer. His church is to be rescuers, and we are to rescue. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His church is designed to storm the gates of hell, that we might be on the mission of redemption for the whole world. This church does not exist for your care, your comfort, or your convenience. It exists for the global glory of God. And when we live for the global glory of God, he will care for you, he will comfort you, and he will convene himself toward you. It doesn't work the other way. Woo! But we have been lulled And we think it's about us when it's not. Nothing in the kingdom of God is about you. It's about Jesus. But when we turn our eyes towards Jesus and look full in his marvelous grace, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And we change our focus. God whispered to this in the book of Chronicles. Chronicles 2, 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose heart are fully committed to him. Do you want God to strengthen you? Do you? I love what this means in Hebrew. This means this. To take his hands and put on the either side of you and strengthen you. This morning, Dee and I were going down the boardwalk of death. <laughs> it is slippery. And to quote Brian, it was serving up extra death today. And we were going down, and he said, Pastor, do you need to hold on to my shoulder? Because my brother wanted to strengthen me. But my God takes his hands and he He guides me. And I want to be committed to him. Can't you feel his hands on your right side, your left side? Can you feel the nail scar in those hands? Because he's been looking to strengthen you. Mm. You see, this passage reveals that the seeking of God And he's seeking for those who will join him in his divine rescue. And his rescue is always towards the broken. 
Rescue has a recipe. We'll give it to you. Here's a recipe. You might want to write this down. It's a recipe. Notice that Nehemiah owned his sins and the sins of his people. Nehemiah said, I've, uh, we, uh, people have sinned and, and I have sinned. He, he didn't do, you know how we know the, the, that the disciples were not Baptist? You know how we know? Because at the last supper, they said, Lord, is it I? If they'd been Baptist, said, Lord, is it him? But he owned his sin. He said, I have sinned and my people have sinned. He didn't run away from his sin. You see, the first step of repentance is recognition. I heard a preacher preach once. He said, I'm against sin except for the ones I enjoy. Isn't that true? But God says, Nehemiah recognized his sin. Now listen to this recipe. That rescue has a personal renewal. That I get right with Jesus. I get right with God. I confess my sins to the Lord. It also has a relational renewal. That we get right with each other. I have seen so many churches who, who find the deeper life and they get all personally renewed and they get all right, but they don't like each other. And that's crazy. We are a family. We got some weird uncles. Yes, but we're a family. And we have to be right with each other, full of love and grace and mercy. Any of y'all got adult children that have disappointed you? We're a family. And in spite of the disappointment of our children, we still love them. Do we not? Mm. But then there's missional renewal. We find out why we're together. And the togetherness of God is always by the intent of God. God has placed everyone in this room to have relationship with him, relationship with each other, that we might be used by God to make a dent in hell. We have a mission. And then there's structural renewal where we start functioning in a healthy structural way. Do you know that this past summer, we went through all this bylaw stuff in order to fix our structure that we might be structured according to our philosophy, not according to our denomination or according to a personality. And you guys did a marvelous job with that. And then finally, the culture is renewed. I went into H-E-B last night by the request of my wife. We once used to live far away from H-E-B. Now we live close to H-E-B. So the visits to H-E-B have grown more frequently. <laughs> now, Dee and Lee, and Lee's his wife sitting down here with him. Dee outmarried himself big time. They got four little girls, and they like orange soda. How do I know? Because they drained the swamp of orange soda at our house yesterday. Tara says, go buy some more orange soda. So I left last night to buy y'all some more orange soda. Now they said, Pastor Scott, we didn't drink all that orange soda. Well, the elves didn't come by and drink it, y'all. That's okay, though. Papa says yes, and there's plenty of soda where that came from. So I went and got some orange soda. I went into H-E-B last night, and I thought, what if everybody in H-E-B was saved? What 
What if everybody came at HEB was saved? What if people visiting on the weekends to Wimberley fell under conviction in their cars as they crossed the Blanco River, got on their knees and trusted Christ because the Spirit of God was moving so strong in this city? Do you know that happened in history? During the revival in Wells, as God moved in such great power, people coming into the area of Wells would fall under conviction, repent of their sins, and be saved that the whole area of Wells in England laid off their police department because they had no crime. Every bar and brothel shut down because there was no customers. Do it again, Lord Jesus. But you know what stopped the revival in Wales? Legalism. We forgot from what we were saved from. And we became arrogant and entitled and legalistic. Next year, I'm going to be teaching through these renewals systematically over the whole year. And it starts next weekend. We're going to talk about being personally renewed for the next several weeks. Then we're going to be talking about being relationally renewed. Then we're going to be talking about being missionally renewed. And then next fall, we're going to go after this culture with a hot stick to see them come to Christ. What do y'all think about that? That's one amens. Yours doesn't count because you ain't going to be here. But you get your $10 anyway because I told you I'd pay you $10 for every amen. (laughs) Yeah. Bankers. But intentionally, we're going to go about this all for Jesus. Rescue and repentance go hand in hand. You see, there's more to Nehemiah's prayer than rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It was all about rebuilding the honor of God. You see, the revitalization of Jerusalem was a symbol of revival, of revival of of the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nehemiah was concerned about God. He wasn't concerned about Jerusalem. And if we as a people, individually and corporately, got concerned about God, we would be concerned about what God's concerned about. You see, the burden of rescue should break our hearts. It should break our hearts, which is the beginning of repentance. And it causes us to join with God. You see, unrepentant hearts will stop the movement of God. But a repentant heart, oh God, you will not despise. The psalmist said. So I ask you a question. What in your life is as it shouldn't be? What needs to be changed? This is a perfect time of year to take a deep look at your heart. As I wrote that, um, I got convicted. This is a perfect time for Pastor Scott to look at his heart. So last week, not last week, last week was just basically a throwaway week. But the week before, our staff got together and we were talking about a repentant heart and a broken heart. I'm going to lay out a challenge for you guys. Starting January the 8th, 
actually start on the ninth because the eighth we're eating wild game. For the next 21 days until the 31st of January, I'm going to invite you to join me on a 21 days of prayer and fasting. I don't want you to come up and say, Pastor, I'm joining you on prayer and fasting to us between you and Jesus. But Tara and I are going to step into this together. Now, we're going to do a thing called the Daniel Fast. If you want to know what that is, you can look it up. You read about it. Um, I won't be eating any barbecue, y'all. But fasting, I don't know if you read my shout-out. In fact, you don't get the shout-outs. Go online and sign up for the shout-outs. You need to get the shout-outs. It's our weekly newsletter. I talked about fasting is not giving up something. It's focusing on someone. So what I want to do is remove the distractions from my life that keeps me from focusing on Jesus. And so Tara and I have decided to do this dietary to focus on Jesus. Now, there'll be other benefits, obviously, but we're going to focus on Jesus for 21 days. I got to Wimberley during a 21 days of prayer and fasting. The Lord used that to bring me here as your pastor. I had never done that before. I thought fasting was something you did between meals. <laughs> but I'm inviting you into it. There'll be more about that and there'll be more intentionality to go with that. I've written a devotional that you're going to access online for this time, this next series. We have group life materials for this next series. We're going to focus in on this together, that God wants us to do something significant. If, if us, as, as God's people, as this church decided that we're going to focus on Jesus, what in the world could he do in and for and through us? Hmm. You see, we are the rescue plan of God. The church is. We give our resources. And your generosity this year has been staggering. We give our talents. And this church has more talent that's laying dormant. And it's a sin not, not for it not to be used. And I'm not just talking about preaching, teaching, and singing, y'all. I'm talking about the other depth of talents. We give our lives to one another and to the Lord. And we partner together in the gospel. We partner together in the gospel. <laughs> you see the great hinges of rescue, great doors of rescue swing on the small hinges of the ordinary. <clears throat> I want to be about rescue. I want to see people come to know Christ. I want to see you know Christ. I want to see this church be everything God wants it to be. Don't you? We only have this small window of opportunity in this life. Wouldn't you want to see God move greatly in this window of your life? Yeah. It was a hot summer at youth camp, Zephyr, Texas. Ordinary day. About 200 kids at camp. Student pastor was running things. I was there for aggravation and entertainment. Riding around in a golf cart. My radio goes off. Pastor Scott, we need you down at the lakefront. I rode down there. There was a mama pacing up and down the bank calling for her little boy. Her little boy got off in the lake and he was missing. Myself and about 10 of our high school boys formed a chain 
holding our hands and we waded out of the water and we found little Darius. He drowned. I attempted CPR on him, but he'd been gone too long. He was seven. I'll never forget it. And I made a decision that day that I would never be late again. I would never be late again. Now I know in the Lord's economy, little Darius went from that lake to the presence of the Lord. I held that mama's with her broken heart. I will never be late again. And we have arrived together just in time for Wimberley to be that church that rescues people. And this, my friend, is worth our lives. Father, I pray that you will break our heart for what breaks yours. And that we will not be satisfied with common ordinary. But Father, we'll seek to live for you at the deepest level of commitment. That you will have our yes before you ask. We will strip off the robes of entitlement and of elitism. And Father, we'll put on the robes of your righteousness. And we will be called the priest of our God, the ministers of the Most High. And like Nehemiah, Father, we will lead a restoration of the fame of your name that will change eternity. We don't want to be late. We want to be used by you. Folks, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know what God is saying to you today, but this would be a great day to make a recommitment to the Lord. To say to him, Jesus, I'm yours. This would be a great day for us as a church to make a recommitment to the Lord, to say, Jesus, we are yours. If you've never trusted Christ and you know who you are because the Spirit of God is talking to you right now, this would be a great day to say, Jesus, I am yours. I am yours yours. In fact, if that's the prayer you need to pray, then pray it with me right now. Jesus, I am yours. I give you my life. Oh God, may this ordinary day be invaded by your extraordinary, unfailing love, mercy, grace, and assignment that we may live all for you. Offer you, King Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to look at me a second. I want to say this to you, and I want to say it, I want you to hear it. I love you, and I'm honored to be your pastor. I cannot think of any place I would rather be than at the diamond in the heart of the hill country, Wimberley, Texas, with you guys. Now I'm I'm ornery. And I'm driven. But you call me, you stuck now. But together, let's be everything God wants us to be, okay? We're going to sing with William. I have no idea what we're going to sing. But we're going to sing something. (laughs) 
I want y'all to sing it out. And I want you to make this time of commitment. If you need to come and pray, you can come do that. If there's a decision you need to make, use that card to say, today I've trusted Christ. Today I want to be a part of this family. Whatever, use that card and make that decision. You can come give it to us. We can pray for you. You can leave it in, your, in the pew. We'll pick it up. You can put it on the table in the back. We want to do anything we can do to help you not feel pressured, but feel convicted by the Holy Spirit to move your life in God's direction. Okay? Now let's stand together and let's sing to King Jesus. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow. That heaven can't hear. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face.